Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. In today's bonus episode of The Bell Tell, I, Margaret Canning, business editor of the Belfast Telegraph, am talking to David Brown, the president of the Ulster Farmers Union, about the biggest story of the week, the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill passing through the House of Commons. I'm asking David about what the impact of the bill could be on Northern Ireland farmers and whether it means milk down the drain for our dairy farms. Welcome, David. Well, we had wanted to speak to you about the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. Obviously, it's been in the news a lot and it's passed through the House of Commons now. And then, of course, last week, the Dairy Council came out and said it would jeopardise Northern Ireland's really important trade with the Republic and the EU, particularly that transport of raw milk from Northern Irish dairy farms across the border into the Republic. So far, how have Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol affected farming in Northern Ireland? Well, I suppose the first thing to recognise, Margaret, that for um, for many, well, take the dairy sector, for example, uh, for, for a lot of these folk, and, and I mean, sometimes we hear this rumour that, oh, Northern Ireland is in the best of both worlds. Our English colleagues would tell us that, and indeed our Southern Irish colleagues may tell us that. But in reality... Actually, if you take the example of the milk crossing the border, um, basically, I suppose if you put it in simple terms, we're being allowed to do what we always did uh, in terms of that trade. So it's not like we've gained something new or additional, uh, but we've been able through the protocol to maintain uh, that trade across the border. Uh, and I suppose for sectors, like for example, um, uh, the beef sector or indeed the dairy sector, uh, they have learned to work with any additional uh, burden of, of paperwork or whatever and are basically saying, well, as far as our milk, uh, taking the dairy example, is concerned, you know, uh, we can work with this and it's working okay for us. Equally, I suppose, and, and this is, I suppose, the tightrope that I walk as president of the Ulster Farmers Union is to represent all commodities and all sectors. So there are aspects uh, of the protocol that aren't working for, for others. And, and indeed, even in the dairy sector, I suppose it's fair to point out, yes, the milk can still cross the border, but dairy farmers do move livestock. Uh, not all of them, of course, but some of them do move livestock from GB to Northern Ireland. Or, and that has uh, proven to be a, a real issue, the movement of livestock. I mean, it's really, it's really down to things that move from GB into Northern Ireland, where the, the crux of the problems have been. So we've got... For example, dairy farmers also use, uh, some of them grow cereals uh, to feed their livestock. So they've had difficulty in accessing 
cereal seeds or at least uh, the the type that they wish because the certification process is so onerous that basically the seed companies in NGB have limited the number of seeds that are now uh, varieties of seed that are available. Uh, plant protection products, uh, the sprays that would be needed on that uh, crop. So, so dairy farmers who actually, you know, move livestock, grow uh, crops, uh, you know, and the grassland as well, uh, you know, the, the, the issues around plant protection products. But I think probably the one to highlight at the minute um, is, is the veterinary uh, products that we use. And, and I mean, 50% of those are used in, in pets and, and not non-agriculture, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, companion animals. But equally, you know, we, we were sitting in a situation where we had, you know, a huge discussion and debate uh, highlighted, I suppose, until recently around human medicines and the need to get a resolution. We, we made the argument and lobbied very hard to try and get veterinary medicines included in that discussion. It was not. And therefore, you know, we, we've at the end of December 21, we had a grace period extended uh, in order that veterinary medicines could continue to come into Northern Ireland from GB. And that grace period runs out again at the end of this year. So, in, and again, dairy farmers use veterinary products too. So it, it's not just as black and white maybe as, as, as would, I, I can fully appreciate, you know, any commodity is going to represent th their interests and, and how it's working for them or not working for them. But equally, across the broad spectrum, you know, in many instances, yes, the protocol has uh, allowed Northern Ireland to continue to trade with, in effect, the EU, because we're trading with ROI, and vice versa. Obviously, the, with no tariffs uh, there involved. So I suppose going back to the outset of Brexit, and you'll have heard this back in 2020, was the fear of a no-deal Brexit. That was a, a huge concern for agriculture. Um, I, I suppose, in light of what's been said, maybe some people have a fear that uh, potentially we could return to a situation where there's trade barriers uh, within the island of Ireland. Um, maybe my glass is too half full, but I, I just, I don't, I mean, th that would be such an act of self-harm for the Irish agricultural industry. Um, I mean, the president of the AFA has said to me, he says, David, look, we'll get this sorted. He says, don't worry. He says, your milk will still be able to come south. And then equally, there are pigs that come north for slaughter. So so that cross-border trade um, and integrated supply chains that we have in Ireland, island of Ireland, um, I, I, I just cannot for the life of me think that the Irish government, who have been influential in all things Brexit-related, um, you know, are, are going to allow some an act of self-harm uh, to their own industry, you know, because ultimately they supply the GB marketplace um, just as much as Northern Ireland does, and, and anything that would create a barrier for them is, is, is obviously not going to be in their interest. But look, there's uncertainty. Anytime there's debates and discussions, and the UFU position all along has been, look, we want to see the things that are issues negotiated and the things that are working, I don't have anybody on my shoulder screaming in my ear about them. So, uh, you know, um, if if those more basic issues that uh, have proved problematic can be resolved by, through negotiation, but there needs to be an element of trust. And I know I, we're involved in that Northern Ireland business group, um, you know, and, and I mean, of meetings with both sides of these discussions. And, and I suppose we've put out statements back in June there. And, and I, I would endorse the comment that it would appear that both sides seem to talk past one another 
uh, rather than actually um, getting down to the serious act of, of negotiating. So, so you'll have the UK government on one side saying, oh, well, the EU is just telling us, well, she signed that. So, you know, leave us alone. You, you, you agreed to it and therefore there's no need to renegotiate it. And equally on the other side, uh, you'll have, uh, you know, the EU saying, well, you know, we're open to negotiation. So I think we need to be sitting in the room with them, actually, when they're having these discussions to actually know who's, who's telling us uh, an accurate <laughs> reflection of what is happening. And do you think the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill is going to make all those problems with the protocol better? Because what the what the Dairy Council has said is that the... The bill, if it became law, would introduce that dual regulatory regime in Northern Ireland, which would make that cross-border trade in milk impossible and that that trade with the Republic and with the EU in milk is worth something like $600 million a year. Would, That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, would the NI protocol, protocol bill help farmers? The simple fact of this is when it boils down to it, even within, I'm a beef farmer and I don't produce milk, but ultimately, at the end of the day, part of my animal or a proportion of the animals uh, on any of our farms uh, do not necessarily end up in the GB marketplace. So when I sell that animal uh, to, the, to the local factory, uh, you know, and, and obviously uh, they choose, they decide, uh, you know, well, that's suitable for well, whatever, I suppose, uh, do, I'm sort of hesitant to name it. Well, let's say it's going to Sainsbury's or M&S or wherever it's going. But there's an animal here who's out of specification that we need to send to a different marketplace or what's known as the fifth quarter uh, in, in animals. It's a bit of a euphemism, but it, it's an actual fact, I suppose. Um, the other internal organs and stuff that we in GB or UK would not consume. Yeah, nobody what here is our, too what, fond of offal. Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about. But, mm-hmm. but basically, there are marketplaces, not in Ireland and not in the UK, but there are marketplaces for those things. So if you, if you simplify this all the way down to where part of a product, and the same might apply to vegetables as, as it would to milk and beef, if, if, if part of a product or some of the product is going to go into the EU marketplace, by default, it has to be, and this is part of the bill, like you know, what goes to the EU will be to the EU standard, what goes to GB will be to the GB standard. Well, there's very few farmers will be able to stand there and honestly put their hand in their heart and say, oh, well, I can guarantee, you know, that what I'm producing, all of it, 100% of it is going to go uh, to the GB marketplace. So therefore it only needs to be to this standard. In actual effect, uh, my view would be that by default, um, you know, if, if part of the product, as I say, is going to go to the EU mar- or potentially could go to the EU marketplace, we will end up uh, having to produce it to the EU standard. Anyhow, yeah. so I, I think, you know, that, that's probably the point that's coming across from the Dairy Council is um, this is actually not going to give us benefit. Uh, well, for their sector, certainly, this is not going to give us any benefit and it has the potential actually well, to create those trade barriers that, that they've described, you know, so there's no argument in what I'm saying with what the Dairy Council point is making is what I'm trying to convey. But in, in reality, I suppose when I look at the dairy sector or, or when a dairy farmer comes to me, actually, ironically, it, it's, it's actually highly unlikely he's coming to me about the possibility of his milk not being able to go across the border. 
you know, it, it would have built an element of trust, actually, because fundamentally what's wrong at the minute is the UK and the EU, there's no trust. Now, whether that changes with a change of leadership, well, depends who that leader may be, <laughs> as, as, we see at the, as we see at the minute, you know, uh, maybe be that big well, a change. <laughs> and with the, with the UF, you have a preference between the two people we have at the minute? Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> not going Perhaps there. Rishi Sunak <laughs> might be someone who'd be less eager to rush headlong into a trade war compared to his opponent, Liz Truss. Well, that's your words. I better not comment <laughs> on that. <laughs> no, look, at we stay out of the capital P politics, whether it be Northern Ireland politics or, or indeed the, the, the politics of, um, of Westminster. But at the same time, we do have to emphasise and point out when, when these things affect and impact on us. And, and undoubtedly, you know, there are many factors in the protocol that have impacted on, on agriculture. And I suppose if, if, if I go back to the point, well, if I use an analogy, if, if, you were, if you enjoyed a cup of coffee and you were told on the 31st of December you couldn't have it anymore, you'd think you'd lost something. However, if you're told on the 1st of January you can still have your cup of coffee, you wouldn't really think you'd gained anything. And that, that's probably the distinction. You just think, well, sure, I always had it. You but know, surely, so there's an surely retaining it is better than losing it overnight. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there lays the distinction between where Northern Ireland landed compared with where the rest of GB landed. Like, I mean, our Scottish counterparts, as you yeah. well know, would have been very keen to get uh, something of a similar nature. So therefore, yes, don't, I'm not underestimating that the protocol ha has allowed uh, Northern Ireland, well, use that dairy example again, has allowed us to continue to freely trade Probably our, our view in relation to the protocol all along has been there are many parts of it working. Uh, I've used this phrase, I haven't been criticised for it yet, it was don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because while there are parts of it that we do want to see some resolution to and, and a solution to, um, equally, and the Dairy Council is a very good example of it, uh, it's working in terms of their ability to continue to trade their milk and the problems and I don't rule out the possibility that in, in, a, in an awful fallout uh, between the EU um, that, well, as I say, it, it would be an act of incredible self-harm to the Irish um, supply chains and, and agriculture as well. So, look, I, I while working alongside my colleague Tim Cullinan in the AFA and indeed conversations we've had uh, with Irish government representatives from the, from the Taoiseach to Simon Coveney and all the rest of it, we absolutely accept and recognise that their um, their agriculture in the south of Ireland is well as vulnerable, if not more so, than than where we would be. So therefore, you know, it's it's incumbent on us to to try and encourage the parties on both sides of this to mm -hmm. to negotiate and find a solution rather than going head to head. And confrontational. Yeah, and the European Commission Vice President Maros Sefcovic told us in an interview a few weeks back that if the NI Protocol Bill became law, then Northern Ireland would simply lose its access to the single market. But do you think that yep. if that happened, there'd be an exception for agriculture, an exception for milk? Uh, look, there's no guarantees in this, Margaret, in any of this. But but the reality of it is, Maros Sefcovic is saying that. Equally, Liz Truss or whoever uh, now in, in the British government is is also, you know, putting forward another 
another hard position about, well, this is not working. You know, we're legislators. Whenever we legislate and we find that something's not working, we go back and we try to uh, change it. Maybe they're trying to change something that the EU doesn't want to change is the problem they have. But but equally, both, both sides are taking very very hard positions. And, you know, and, and let's face it, GB is now considered a third country. The standard of what they produce didn't change on the 1st of January 2021, but they were put in a box along with, you know, countries in the other parts of the world that are considered third countries outside the EU. So if that relationship is as broken as everybody tells us it is in terms of the lack of trust, um, it doesn't bode well for them uh, finding solutions. But, you know, politics is the art of the possible and heaven help us if, if our politicians, including our own, uh, don't recognise the fact that actually, um, you know, doing something which is of self-harm. And I mean, that, that, those points by the Dairy Council have been well enough made to local politicians as well, and by ourselves too. Uh, I have met with four of the five main parties in, in the last mandate, and uh, we have made all those points around dual regulatory and, and you know, the, the concerns we have with some of that to them. So, and of the, the North. so which one of the main parties have you not met with? I haven't met with the Alliance yet, and that's not through any intention. Yeah. It's just simply the fact that uh, we met initially with Sinn Féin and then DUP, and uh -huh. I met this week with us uh -huh. Unionists and last DLP. But uh, look, we, we will, we will, and you know, we meet with them. So, so don't don't read oh, anything no, into no, that. No, no, I won't. Not at all. <laughs> and do you think that any, you know, the local party, the DUP, has championed the Northern Ireland Pro Protocol Bill? In doing so, have they the interests of farmers at heart? When you think of what's at risk when it comes to the dairy industry? Well, look, uh, as I say, Margaret, I, I do my best to steer clear of the capital P politics and criticising any party is, is not a useful place for, for the Ulster Farmers Union to be. But let, let me, I suppose, put it this way. Uh, they have invited and asked, uh, you know, that, uh, and all of the parties, I mean, they, they sought these meetings with the Ulster Farmers Union and, and it's off the back of the bill because they want to know, well, what's our thoughts, what's our views? And, and they aren't, as I say, in conflict at all with what the Dairy Council has been telling them. Uh, they're probably a bit more nuanced, as I described, uh, you know, simply because, uh, you know, in terms of representing all of the different sectors, you know, there, there are commodities and sectors that do have issues. And I mean, I, I know there was a piece of the country file last Sunday. I got a phone call from the chair of our Seeds and Cereals Committee, very disappointed that there was no reference made to seeds and cereals and, um, and to uh, plant protection products. And in reality, the, uh, well, one of the, was Sam Chesney, who obviously is a red meat or beef producer, he actually told me, he says, well, David, he says, I did mention all those other things, but he says they obviously ended up on the cutting mm -hmm. room floor. So, so those, so those who know, put it this way, I, I'll not be very long till I get a phone call from somebody who feels their problem has not been represented. And that, that's part of the tightrope that I walk in terms of saying, well, look, yes, aspects of this are working well and, and are, you know, protecting uh, particular commodities and particular parts of the industry. But equally, there are bits here. And, and to be honest, we've had opportunity uh, to meet with, um, I mean, for example, the chief staff, Van Gotham, the EU chief staff, uh, was over with a, with a delegation of the negotiating team back in February. And we had them on a farm. We brought along uh, those from each of the sectors who, who give, uh, you know, representation of what was and what was not working. 
And I, I felt that was a, a useful exercise. But and, and to be fair, I suppose we went away hoping that, um, you know, that would be useful in terms of them understanding, OK, well, you said you can do this and you said you can't do that and so forth. But practically this bit doesn't work without that other bit. And, and so, so we went into those kind of details with them. But what we have at the minute because of, of this bill, I mean, Bernard Van Gotham, I, mean, I was out, must be nearly a month ago now, but three four weeks ago in, for three days in Brussels. And my colleagues from NFU Scotland were making the point around their seed potatoes, which you know, no longer can come into Northern Ireland, but more problematically, can no longer go into the south of Ireland, can no longer go to uh, Italy, Spain, France, all of whom have said to the Commission, EU Commission, we want those Scottish seed potatoes because they're of a very high um, you know, health status and certification of their health status is, is higher than we have here. And yet, I mean, Bernard Van Gotham's answer to the to, my, to the Scottish president and his his delegation was, well, that's their problem. But you have to remember that was days after the Northern Ireland, or sorry, the UK had patrolled the deal. So I would say, you know, any possibility of getting any resolutions to these things on a one-by-one -one basis, um, you know, they're probably on the back burner at the minute till we see where the rest of all of that and UK... Bill goes. And does the UFU support the bill? Support the well. Look at no, we didn't take a position in supporting the bill because fundamentally, at the end of the day, this is the this is the UK protecting their internal marketplace. And I appreciate, you know, the, the capital P politics of the protocol is it is to the fore in Northern Ireland, and I don't want to say much more than that. So, so for for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, you're going to have those differential of positions, and and no different uh, to when Brexit come along, uh, we had members of the UFU at that time who were very keen on it, thought this will get us away from all the regulation and red tape, and on the other side we had those who were very strongly wishing to remain within the EU. So even in that uh, at that particular juncture. Uh, we had to step back and say, look, at, this is a personal decision. This is not something that we as a UFU can take a position on because some of our farmers are, are so defensive of it and others, um, well, <laughs> much less so. But in, in terms of the UK, uh, the bill that's gone through, while I can see, you know, wh why retail, for example, would see benefits in this, I'm struggling, to be honest, in, in terms of the agriculture side of this to see, um, you know, how this would, because it's, it's not going to help the Dairy Council and people like that who are finding that out very clearly, nor to my mind is it, is, is it going to manage to avoid the fact that, as I said earlier, the fallback position here is that if you want part or, or any of your product to go into the EU, well then, or, and that's our way or, or anywhere else for that matter, then then fundamentally you're you're caught with the fact that you actually have to, basically produce it to the EU standard anyhow. So um, how would you regulate? Dual regulatory, the, the huge fear for, you know, manufacturing or producers is that it's a bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, that, that's the fear that you'll hear expressed time and again. And let's be honest, I mean, even what we got with Brexit was complicated enough in itself. But fundamentally, um, to add to that complication by having two, that, that that's a huge concern because does it create uh, a question mark over the integrity of our product? Well, if if it's not produced to the EU standard, I would have to suggest that the point the Dairy Council make and others make is that yes, unquestionably, 
um, it, it creates that challenge. And fundamentally, therefore, well, we're still going to have to produce it to the EU standard if we want some of it to go into the EU or all of it, third of our milk. You know, it's it's significant, significantly, uh, yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, farmers, uh, when it boils down to it, will, will, yes, they may have political views, but fundamentally, their farm business and their families, uh, you know, will, will come to the fore in, in terms of what's good or bad mm-hmm. for it, for the business. And very broadly speaking, has there been any ben- any benefit at all so far for farming in Northern Ireland from Brexit? Well, I think probably in terms of the products, it's, it's product, probably down more so to do with product displacement uh, in the sense that, um, you know, there are SME small businesses who do get uh, products from, from Northern Ireland farms. And, you know, the product that previously would have been part of the main supply chain, uh, and it was two-way, obviously, was from GB into Northern Ireland. Uh, there are aspects of that which proved problematic because of the SPS and, and checks around sanitary and phytosanitary checking, which basically led to companies in GB saying, well, that speciality cheese or that, you know, whatever it was, um, it's just torturous and the cost of, of doing that business, you know, outweigh, the hassle and the cost of it outweighs. So, so therefore... You know, there are businesses in Northern Ireland, therefore, who, who have been able to pick, up, pick that up. And COVID didn't help because the two things combined at the same time. And, and I guess when you close down your hospitality and, and hotels and restaurants and so forth, uh, that put enormous pressure on those businesses. But at the same time, they have picked up some of that business uh, that would originally been supplied from GB. And like at the end of the day, uh, those who produce it, uh, you know, probably sell it. Actually, I suppose some do sell directly to those businesses, but but a lot sell it uh, through processors. So if the processors can add value uh, here locally without the cost uh, of, of sending that to, to somewhere else, uh, then it's understandable that those businesses uh, w- would appreciate that there has been benefit. But um, probably at face value at a farm level, uh, the benefit is, and I don't take away from this, the benefit is that we have been allowed in Northern Ireland to continue to do what we had been doing. Which isn't really a, a benefit. Well, it, it's not. That, that's the difficulty when I made that analogy with yeah. your cup of coffee. It, it's, not perceived, it's not perceived as such. I mean, put it this way. I have nobody ringing me up telling me about the benefits. Nobody. <laughs> you know, but I have people ringing me up and telling me about the problems. But that's, <laughs> that's human nature as well, of course. Because that's true, know, and maybe yeah, yeah. I do well, I'm from a farming family myself, and I can make the observation that farmers maybe do have a reputation for maybe being slightly pessimistic. Though sometimes who can blame them? Well, look, I mean, as I said earlier on, and I listened to my view of where the, the landing zone for this will be. Maybe my glass is more than half full. I, I tend to have a more optimistic outlook than some of our farmers. And you're right, absolutely. Some of them, the, the world will. And, and to be honest, I, I've heard some of the interviews and sort of in some respects are thought, you know, you're going to create a, a real sense of concern, worry. Uh, and is that justified? Uh, personally, I wouldn't cause it at this stage, you know, yeah. because like even this bill, you know, albeit it has got through its first reading, like in, in reality, it has to go to House Lords, it has to go a lot of places. And, you know, those who in the political sphere that we have conversations with tell us, look, very, very often, and includes bills that, that come to the fore over here, you know, what ends up uh, being actually, you know, passed 
uh, if it gets to that stage, um, is very, very different to where it started. So if, if we tell people, well, actually, that bit and that bit and that bit is not going to help, actually potentially make, do, you know, create difficulties for us instead of improving things. I know you, you, you weren't UFU president at the time of the Brexit referendum, but does the UFU have any regrets about not coming out more firmly for the Remain cause because of all of these hassles which have been introduced? Because I suppose it has been, it's been targeted for not supporting Remain, it's been targeted for not supporting the Leave side of things. Any regrets at how the UFU approach was handled back in 2016? No, and we've took plenty of criticism for it. We took criticism from members. I mean, uh, Ben Lowry in the newsletter criticised us on numerous occasions (laughs) and folks like that. So so we've took plenty of criticism, but absolutely no regrets because the simple fact of the matter is what what was attempted to to happen there was that uh, for, for their own reasons, political representatives, so for, for for both sides of our Northern Ireland situation, uh, tried to, to drag, uh, you know, uh, well, ourselves and indeed others into an argument to, to come down on their side. So what we said from the very outset, we will point out the problems, we will raise our concerns, but we are not going to dictate to our membership uh, what way you might vote. And I mean, then if you and that wasn't a comfortable place to be. I, I would be fairly sure. Like as I say, I wasn't a spokesperson, but I, I you know, I'm, I'm look at the end of the day, um, Ivor Ferguson or whoever uh, president at that time, you know, had to defend those points, and, and I, I don't doubt it was difficult. Uh, no more difficult than me explaining and talking about all this is nowadays, because actually, in some respects, the capital P politics of this has not changed at all since 2016, and therefore, you know, we. In representing all sectors and and more importantly, representing all communities here in Northern Ireland, uh, you know, we we kind of found ourselves in a place where others would want to have drawn us into to, um, you know, making comment. Uh, and they did like some of the comments we did make about the problems and difficulties. Um, you know, were, were presented as. UFU for it yes. or UFU against it or, or whatever. So there's an inevitability that that happens. But um, I, I certainly, Nick and I, travelling up through the UFU office bearers, I, I haven't heard anybody saying, I wish we'd done something differently because fundamentally, I, do, I don't think there was an option there in, in terms of having to represent represent the problems. And that's still what we've been doing and, and yet defending the fact as, as you started this conversation around the Dairy Council, defending the fact that that's working for them, mm-hmm. you know, so. And do you um, hear, do you hear anything, sorry. sorry, do you hear any buyer's remorse from farmers who did vote to leave? And equally, well, maybe I mean, farmers who voted remain telling you they regret their vote? Well, probably one of the most vocal, and he was on that countryside, if you did happen to watch it, was Charlie Weir himself. Like yeah. Charlie, Charlie would have been very much for, for Brexit, but he realised actually, and, and therein lay the problem, because I remember actually being told that at some of our UFU meetings, I was on the Beef and Lamb Committee and, and so on, the mouth of Brexit. But in, in reality, um, there were farmers, as I say, you know, in, in our society, there's an inevitability that people have political opinions. But there were farmers who criticised us and actually when the likes of Ava Ferguson or whoever explained to them, and we'll take that example of the milk, what happens if you get it? Because some of them were saying, Oh, let them let them throw an OD at us. Let them throw it. We were going, 
absolutely not. So that was one point we were very, very clear about, that there needed to be a trade and cooperation agreement between the UK and the EU, because if there had not been, then we were in exactly the scenario that's now been, well, I suppose, lifted up as a, as a possibility again. But but in truth, you know, that no-deal Brexit was something we, we were absolutely crystal clear on, because we said, if, if that's where you end up, and, and suddenly you had farmers going, oh, oh, I have, you know, quarter of a million of borrowings or, or I have £100,000 borrowed and I can't afford for that to happen. Well, there you go then. You know, just don't, don't, like, and, and the same applies, it applies even to those DEFRA folk, you know, when we speak to them, you know, you need to understand it all. And I'm not saying we've had a steep learning curve, including myself. Uh, you know, in understanding what issues the protocol has brought to our to our desk, but at the same time, equally, you know, those who thought there was a a black and white, you know, solution to to many of these things, whether it was Brexit itself or, or indeed the the protocol, um, you need to understand the implications and and you know, understanding some of those, I'd have to admit, uh, has only happened after the fact. And um, if mm-hmm. I was to suggest that the then Prime Minister understood them, well, you can make your own conclusion on that one, like, because... Yeah. <laughs> Do you think either Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss might have a better grasp of farming issues in Northern Ireland than their predecessor? Well, look, I mean, I, I would hope... I mean, one of the things we've done, uh, you know, very, very recently in the last days is basically said, look, we would wish to see those two candidates long before they're elected come to Northern Ireland and get a, a wider yeah. understanding. And that's more from the, the business community, not just from the Ulster Farmers Union, because fundamentally, when it boils down to what, what we saw evidence of, I, uh, well, truth be told, I, I don't think anybody fully understood the implications of it. But to sign up to something without fully appreciating what you're signing up to, there's undoubtedly 18 months down the line there is a lot more clarity mm-hmm. that um, these things aren't and haven't worked, or some of them. Some of them, sorry. You know, don't I don't want to overstate. Uh, you know that th- those issues are issues for the farmers that they concern. But equally, a dairy farmer is not going to come complaining to me about seed potatoes because yeah. it's not his problem. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, you know, put it this way: if they don't know the problems now, it's not for want of telling them yeah. because business community, farmers unions, we've all been telling them Mm -hmm. that these are the issues, uh, these are the problems. Um, uh, You know, if we hadn't had COVID, would we be any further on? That's hard to know. It really is because I think in in some respects, well, in a a lot of respects, actually, what we have currently is a perfect storm because with all those issues around Brexit slash protocol, we have the the outfall of... um, you know, the, the changes in trading patterns and so forth that COVID uh, dictated. And then on top of that, now we have this awful war in Ukraine. So we, mm-hmm. we, have, we really do have a perfect storm of circumstances mm-hmm. that are making. Um, and look, I mean, what's the mood? If you, if you ask me that at Balamoral show when the sun was shining, most of the people coming onto the stand weren't coming on, you know, with their glasses empty or half empty. They were, they were in a reasonable, positive mood. Are are they concerned about the challenges that lay ahead? Uh, you know, particularly this autumn, as as feed prices go through the roof. Um, yes, I mean, I, I see 
pinged into me there this morning where discussions are ongoing between Russia and Ukraine about getting grain out to the yeah. Black Sea. If, if they can reach that agreement, that would be a, a huge, huge uh, thing to, to achieve because fundamentally the, uh, something is happening away and out of our sight and not out of our sight, of course, with the television uh, programs showing the, the awful human cost of it. But, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, we're not facing our, our farmyards being blown up or our, mm-hmm. our crops being burnt and destroyed, like, you know, so therefore, you know, we've, well, again, it's the glass half full approach. David, thank you very much for your time. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 Euro O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.